0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at
1: your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Mr. Kelly, before you leave. Yes, sir. Uh, went and saw the Mizzou game at Alabama.
3: I did, yeah.
2: I was surprised you didn't come back with a Southern accent.
3: No, I wasn't there quite long enough for oh, that. but I it was see. close. It was close. <laughs> and the music, the music they play and they all sing along and the roll tide roll and all that stuff. And it was homecoming down there, which made it a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, what a beautiful campus. I mean, Great. just gorgeous. the The fraternity houses are like mansions. If you drove down Lindell and some of those houses there, yeah, that's kind of what they look like. Really, I mean, this isn't this is an animal house. You know, <laughs> these are big, beautiful, and uh, one hundred one thousand people. We sat so high you could see the arch from Tuscaloosa. Wow! Yeah. did not shoot any elephants. Thought about it. They had some <laughs> blow up ones there. What's shooting the elephants? You shoot elephants in Alabama? Didn't you? Don't. I shot an elephant in my pajamas the other day. Whoa. Should have shot him in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa there. Whoa. That's a Marx Brothers joke. Oh. Yeah.
2: I missed it. Groucho Marx? (laughs) I know who he is. I don't know shooting elephants.
3: Yeah, the Marx Brothers were pretty funny except for Carl. He kind of was the, you know, he was.
2: The straight guy?
3: No, he was was a bad dude.
2: Well, welcome back. We missed you. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Yes. I still wish you had a southern accent. Folks, every Saturday morning, we get together and discuss your yard, your landscape, and your garden, your houseplants, whatever it happens to be. And uh, you can just give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Every Saturday morning, we get together to discuss those kind of things. And what I try to do is just offer you some options and whatever it happens to be. And that way, then you can decide... What's the best way for you to go? (laughs) I uh, couldn't imagine what I was supposed to do there. So uh, Greg came over and helped me out a little bit. So thanks, Greg. And, uh, you know, this is a marathon and we're almost at the end. No, the marathon never, never, never ends. And uh, remember, this is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. Again, he's producing. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I do write uh, articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Uh, I don't know if you know, the Internet offers so many different options, but one of the spots that I look at off and on is MSN.com. And what that is is they have all kinds of – well, it's MSN, you know what that is. But anyway, they have all kinds of different segments where they have shots and pictures of, let's say, whatever it happens to be, like um, a place where tourists go to a lot but the locals don't in one spot in each state. And in St. Louis this past – I guess probably maybe two weeks ago, it said the St. Louis Arch. So they're saying locals don't go there but people love to come. And when they're from out of town. Well, this past week, they had the scariest place in all 50 states. So I kind of page down through, and sometimes I get to see all the pictures, sometimes I don't. But the one that was the scariest in Missouri, I kept trying to think, hmm, what would be the scariest place? It turns out to be the Lymph Mansion. Whoa, the historic mansion. And uh, as I pulled up... <sighs> I was really worried because I know there's ghosts all over the place around there. And uh, there's a huge, massive river birch, and it's sweeping down over the sidewalk. And the breeze was making it really look scary with all the street lights and everything else. Underneath the river birch, there was clumps of mums, and some sedum live forever runs on the backside of the limestone wall. This grounds had some historic lights, and one of the historic lights was decorated with cornstalks and pumpkins. Info sign reads, 3322 Dimonel Place, Lymph Mansion. There's an old fountain there that's not really doing anything except just kind of standing there holding a jar on his shoulder. And uh, it sits besides, uh, you know, that was right beside the sign. And there is a few crickets singing out. Uh, The entrance, as I walk further down the sidewalk, there's a nicely pruned boxwood. There's some maiden grass and petunias still in bloom. As I stepped up, the wrought iron railings go up to the doors there. There's also potted mums and there's pumpkins saying, hi, welcome here. And to the right, very frightening looking tree. I couldn't exactly tell what kind of tree it was. I know it's a legume of some sort. So in other words, it's in the pea family because it had these pea pods dangling down. It was really scary. It almost looks like a wisteria tree, but I don't think it was wisteria. But anyway. So it could have been a princess tree. No, I don't think it was a princess tree. So I couldn't quite figure it out. But uh, so it was very scary. It was a weeping tree. It was huge. It was massive. And that was, you know, there and you go. And uh, also they've kind of decorated this tree, the scary looking tree. They hung a bunch of small gourds on it. So when you see these things in peripheral vision, you go, what was that? Oh, boy, oh, boy. But... Um, And at the base of this tree, there's also some of those mini pumpkins. And there's a limestone hardscape around the tree as well. There's some hostas that are waiting for a wintertime sleep. And nearby, a cascading metal fountain was making some great sounds. And there was a pool there. There's a few water lily leaves and uh, some petunias around that as well. And mums also. Uh, In the dark, it was hard to identify because this was before the sun was coming up or just as the sun was coming up. Uh, identify some of the plants that were around the the you know the pool slash pond slash water feature, but uh, there was an area of lawn and that looked good. It runs all the way down to a white picket fence, and a cardinal comes flying by. I thought, boy, it's kind of early for you to be up, and it was chirping and saying, "What am I doing here?" I was kind of like, it was a security guard or something. And I said, well, I guess it's time for me to go because you've told me I should not be here this early. So anyway, the scariest place in the state of Missouri, the Lymph Mansion. Ooh!
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Folks. Questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know how low the temperature is actually going to get tonight, but they're saying uh, down in maybe 30 or 31. And that is the point where, I mean, plant material can start going downhill pretty quickly. So in other words, those I got, you know, I've put all my I've chopped off all my cannas. I still have some elephant ears, which are still the foliage is out and everything else. I still have some annuals, and I'll have to wait. And then sweet potato vines, I'm going to wait and see what happens to them. And what I might do is, because Halloween's coming up kind of soon, not real soon, but uh, uh, just kind of leave all that scary frozen stuff dangling on the pots and just add a little bit of impact to the Halloween pizzazz that Tracy and I put together. And... uh, uh, In your own landscape, you should make sure that anything that's hardy that you're trying to save is watered if we do get down to the freezing point because it's not necessarily going to make the annuals survive, but perennials, trees, shrubs, vines, if that soil gets, you know, it's not going to be severely cold, but if the soil gets, you know, too dry and it's, you know, that's not going to be good. So, I mean, cold air will sink in. It could do some damage to the plant feeding roots feed roots, and uh, go from there. But let's go to Jennings and Althea. How are you today?
4: Yes. I'm really leery about bringing my pots into the basement because of the bugs
2: mm-hmm. in
5: the
4: soil. So what do you suggest?
2: Uh, I would probably go to your favorite garden center, get some in- in- insecticidal soap, mix it up, and just pour it onto the potting mix on your pots. And that's about the best thing you can possibly do. All right. Well, great. Thanks, Althea.
4: Thank you.
6: Uh-huh. Bye.
2: And now let's go to Baldwin into Judith's yard. Hi, Judith.
6: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Thank for your show. I listen every Saturday. Uh, I have two questions for you. Number one, I have some azaleas that must be at least 20 years old, and they're pretty large. I would like to transplant them into another area. If, do you think I'm taking a chance on losing them by doing that?
2: Absolutely.
6: Okay, my second question is, uh, can I apply mulch now? I mean, I, I've been waiting, my lawn man said to wait till November to transplant those and also to add mulch. So. Do you think it's a good time to add mulch?
2: Well, it's a, it's a little bit early, but if you can, if, I mean, you can do it. Just don't add mulch if you already have an adequate amount of mulch. So around trees and shrubs, any place between 2 and 4 inches, and perennials and things like that, 1 to 2 inches. So if that amount of mulch is already there, there's no reason to add mulch. And if you're adding mulch because you want to see a different color or this or that, that's not really helping the plant material. That's strictly aesthetic for you. So I would say go out and take a look at it and see if you really need some mulch. If you do, you could do it now, or you can wait a little bit longer. It's not going to make that much difference.
6: Okay. How much? Do you, he said something about after a hard freeze. Do you do that then, or do you do it before
2: then? Uh, you could. It doesn't really matter. Oh. Okay. Just well, you I- know, before you put the mulch down, make sure you water all your plants. Because that's really crucial because a lot of times, regardless of where the mulch comes from, it can sort of, de- let's say, absorb some of the moisture on the surface of the soil, even if you already have existing mulch there. And consequently, it could cause you know a little bit of a problem if there's not rain real soon or anything else. So water it, then put the mulch down if you want. And the reason why I'm saying about moving those azaleas is because my experience at the Botanical Garden, when I was working in the English Woodland Garden, I tell this story pretty often, it seems like. But when this was before Ridgeway Center, the big entrance building was made, there was all kinds of really big azaleas growing underneath large trees in that area. So I went down, I took a backhoe, I dug them up with a backhoe. So in other words, like a giant tractor, so I could get adequate root system. I took them up to the Woodland Garden, and I planted them, prepared soil, everything else, And uh, I would say probably out of the eight or nine that I moved, maybe two survived very and did well. A couple other ones survived, but just never got healthy again. And then the uh, the rest of them just didn't make it at all. So that's, I'm not saying that's going to happen in every situation and every circumstance, but that's why a larger, you know, Azalea or anything that's you know big first of all it's going to take a lot of effort to move it second of all the transplant shock can be a little bit d- d- disastrous
6: well that's what i was concerned about and as for the mulch i just uh, i didn't add mulch this spring so the mulch that's down has been down for about 2 years and it's not very thick and i was just thinking For winter, perhaps I should
2: add more. You could certainly do that. St. Louis Composting has all kinds of different types of mulch. You can go to their website and check it out and see if they've got exactly what you need.
6: Thank you, Mike. Enjoy your show. Well,
2: thank you for having me on your show. Let's head now south to South Jefferson County and go into Bud's Yard. Hi, Bud. Good
7: morning, sir. I have two questions. Number one is, how do I get rid of Creeping Charlie? it has just about taken over my yard and number 2 when can i trim my forsythias
2: well you can forsythia you can prune them now virtually any dis- well you probably want to wait till the foliage starts you know falling off but you can prune forsythia in the fall it's just the disadvantage of that is you're pruning off the flower buds for next spring So that's so ideally, if you can, just wait until next spring after they flower, prune them at that time. Okay, and then the creeping Charlie is just—it's going to be an ongoing battle. It's not just a one-shot deal. It's an annual weed. So, I mean, putting the pre-emergent down in at the time when the forsythia is blooming would certainly help. But just realize it's going to take you know a lot of work on your part to finally get rid of that thing. It is very—it's a nasty, nasty weed.
7: Well, this 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 last year, it has completely taken over my yard. So. Uh, we'll take a rototiller to it and redo the whole yard.
2: (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of work. But, I mean, just realize also, you know, when you do that, hopefully your yard is fairly flat so you won't have erosion problems and things like that because we're kind of getting at the end, unless you're putting sod back down uh, now at this time of year, where the seed that's put down may not have a chance to germinate and get really acclimated well. So just realize that. If you start messing up stuff too much, it may cause a problem for you. Thank you, sir. Great. Thank you, and thanks for you know, calling. Anybody else? Questions? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Scott lives in St. Charles. Scott, how are you today?
8: Hello, Scott. I've called you before. Uh, one thing I got, uh, oh, a big pine tree. It's probably 50 years old or better, and it's got some euonymus growing up it. And the people have oh the euonymus wa- has probably like a uh, oh it's probably four inches thick. Is that going to kill that tree? No, it's it's they could hurt it a bit, huh? No, not
2: really. I mean, it's you can go to places like over in Europe where they have euonymus and ivy climbing on trees. That has been, I mean, a very old tree. It doesn't hurt. The only time it becomes problematic is when anything that's crawling up the trunk starts going out over the branches and then shadowing the ends of the branches where the foliage should be. That's where the trouble begins. But just straight up the trunk pretty much doesn't do anything.
8: Okay, and then if I want to transplant a red bud, should I wait after a freeze, right?
2: Uh, probably ideally. How big is it?
8: Oh, it's maybe two inches thick.
2: Um. Well, just make sure you get an adequate root ball. So you're probably looking at a root ball should be about 15 to 18 inches on each side of the trunk. So in other words, about three feet across and at least one spade deep. Okay. And water it the night before you're going to transplant it. Have the site where you're moving it to prepared Ready so you to can, go. Yeah. Okay. So And then basically the, the hole that you're putting it down into should be three times the diameter of the root ball but only about 80% as deep. So you want the top of the root ball that you're moving to be slightly above the surrounding ground in case there's any settling.
8: Okay, I I got a boxwood. Is there any tips on transplanting a boxwood? This is like pretty much people wanted it moved, and then I took it and I put it in the neighbor's yard. Any tips on that?
2: (laughs) Uh, Just realize, again, transplanting broadleaf evergreens is a little bit tough. Now you're saying you already moved it, or are you going to move it?
8: Yeah, it's already moved, but I actually got one that's been living in a trash can lid for two years in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> it know,
2: probably has a better chance there than it does sometimes, because when we move it to a n- new location, if the hole's not adequate and everything else, it, you know, it could have a really tough time.
8: Well, I'm thinking, did I bury the roots too deep, or you know, they seem to be on top of the soil. And I sort of buried them in a little. Should I, you know, like pull it out and let it sort of sit on top of the ground again?
2: No, not. Well, you could do that if you wanted to, and you might watch it. But no, all you want to do is just have the top of the crown, so in other words, where the root system and the stems meet, slightly above the surrounding ground in case there's any settling, because a lot of times if you plant it where the top of the root ball of the plant you're moving, whether it's in a container or something you're transplanting, you plant it right at the level the soil is, it could sink. And then you get water sitting around it, and then it could be real trouble for basically anything. A lot of different plants, not all of them by any means. But anything that's a broadleaf evergreen, certainly.
8: Well, it's only, it's only been in there for a couple of weeks. I could probably, you know, maybe try to adjust it.
2: Yeah, it's probably probably put out no new root growth yet at all, so you could probably do that.
8: And happy Halloween, Mike. Thanks for our
2: show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, same to you. Halloween is one of my favorite times of year. I'll tell you, the Day of the Living Dead is like, wow, it's coming, going psycho, I guess, viral, I should say. Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have daffodil, tulips, any kind of spring flowering bulbs, uh, certainly you can start getting them in the ground. I'm going to start planting some of mine within the next week or so, and I usually try to get them all in the ground or in pots. I do mainly in pots anymore because of my yard and everything else, just the way I've orchestrated the deal. But uh That way, then, uh, you know, I can just kind of take my time and have some fun with it. Centralia, Illinois, our first time across the river, and we're going into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill.
9: Hey, how are you today? Very good. Good. You sound excited and positive about Halloween. Yes. (laughs) I uh, have a question. I got some uh, walnuts that are still in the hall that are about two years old. And I was wondering if I planted any of them, if they would grow, and second of all, how would I make Would I have to crack the shells or what?
2: No, you don't have to crack the shells, so it still has the hull. You never stripped off the hull at all, so you don't even see the actual shell of the walnut. Yeah. Um, I would probably, rather than putting them in the ground, unless you just want to, I don't know if you have a big space. My tendency would be to kind of put them in a you know put them in some pots if you had some extra pl- black plastic nursery pots and see if they're going to germinate that way. Uh, 2 years old um, they may not may they I don't know how they were taken care of or anything else. If they've gotten wet, they, you know there may be problems from that standpoint, but it's certainly worth a try.
9: The nut the nut meat I cracked some yesterday and the nut meat is in uh, good shape.
2: So. Great. Well, give it a shot.
9: And then the second question I have real quick is, I have recently planted earlier uh, two lilacs and one uh, magnolia. Should I start putting, since it's going to get 28 down here tonight, should I put uh, mulch down?
2: Yeah, a couple inches over the top of the root ball. That would be perfect.
9: Thank you, and happy Halloween.
2: Well, same to you. And, again, make sure, I don't know how long it's been since you've had any rain, but our soils are pretty dry here. Before you put the mulch down, water you know—water the root ball on these plant materials.
4: Okay.
9: Thank right. you very much. Well,
2: thank you, and good luck with that. Yeah, and good luck with the walnuts, too. I mean, uh, man, if you've kept them for two years. Um, you know, the hulls and everything else, usually they start splitting open when it's going to, you know, they have, they're have they starting to, let's say, germinate because the seed's actually, you know, the seed. And we happen to like to eat them. But uh, beyond that, uh, just enjoy. And now let's go to Ladue and into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul.
7: Hi, Mike. I just have a question. Uh, on When you... Um Grind up the stump, you know, like for a red oak or something, uh, all those shavings Can you use those a place of mulch or, you know, as ground covers around here, Last,
2: Basically not. They're t- it's too raw. That's why when you go to places like St. Louis Composting, any of the mulch they have, they've cured it. So, in other words, it's—well, let's put it this way. It's kind of like wine. You know, wine that's just, let's say, made and put into a bottle— you could drink that, but it's not going to taste very well and it's not really going to work. So consequently, those stump grindings are so raw, they are still going to be problematic as far as absorbing nutrients, absorbing moisture, absorbing all kinds of different things. So you're better off not to you know, to spread them around.
4: Okay, thank you very much.
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's real trouble with it because you think, well, it's just, you know... But, is, I mean, it really could cause some damage to anything that you put, you know, put those kind of stump grindings around. Now, let's go from Ladue into the city of St. Louis and into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike.
4: Hey, I, I have a question about tree planting and then about landscaping. Do you do landscaping, too?
2: I don't. I'm too lazy. Heavens no.
4: <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> we'll forgo that one. Anyway, uh, uh, we're planting some trees. Uh, we removed a bunch of Concrete uh try and get more green in our bed. Ba- well, we are getting more green. and uh, uh, The trees I want to plant, the holes I've dug are about eight feet inside of the electrical lines that go overhead. And we thought about, for, for privacy purposes, uh, planting horn beams. And because uh, it seems the ones that we see can. Grow pretty straight and narrow as far as the tree goes. Right uh, uh, now, when we plant these, there's one spot where we dug where there's some. Oh, hold oh, 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 I hear it. I hear it. Uh, uh, where where we dug some? Uh, uh, there's rock and gravel on on the uh, in the bottom of the hole from a previous sewer line that was let, uh, that was laid. Do we have to get rid of that gravel and rock that's down
2: there? If it's gravel and rock, no, that's fine. But if it's, you know, from your concrete, if you took the concrete out, realize that soil where you're planting these—if this is where you're planting them, it, you know, your soil pH could be rather high. So because of just the leaching of the alkalinity from the cement into the soil in that area. So, and hornbeams prefer an you know more or less not a super acidic, but they like an acidic soil. So, okay. I, have you invested in the trees yet?
4: No, I have not done anything but dug a hole. Okay,
2: okay. so probably what I would do is I'd spend the extra thirty dollars and find out what's you know what's going on in your soil before you invest in these trees, because it sounds like you're going to end up buying several of them. The hornbeam is okay. a good one. You just you know, I mean I'm sure you realize it's deciduous. So then during the winter time you know, the, the screening that you're hoping to achieve during the summer, which you will get in the wintertime It's you're going to see the twigs, but you're not going to see the, or you're not going to get the blockage that you might want.
4: Okay. Uh, all right. Well, is, is there a, a uh, evergreen that you might recommend to try and accomplish the same thing?
2: Well, I just, you know, maybe think about the arborvitae. There's upright junipers as well. So just right. if you get the junipers, which I would recommend that over the arborvitae as far as the upright arborvitae. Uh, Just make sure that it's juniperus chinensis. So in other words, the second word is chinensis. It means it's a Japanese version of the junipers, because if you get the juniperus, the one that's, let's say, cousins to the native ones here that grow here along the highways and everything else, they're prone to a lot of different diseases that the ones that are, let's say, native to the Orient don't get.
4: Okay, I wrote all that down, believe it or not. (laughs) You're quick. So where do I take my soil to get it tested?
2: Uh, You can take it to, there's several different places, but the University of Missouri, just go online and look at soil testing. They'll tell you exactly how to take it and where to send it to.
4: Okay, thank you very much, and you have a great morning.
2: You do the very same thing. Yeah, I mean, the hornbeams are great. You know, I like them a lot, and they do grow straight up. Just makes you... And take a look at a lot of the different kinds of junipers, too, because some of the junipers are going to get wider than maybe what you want. And unless you have to... I would have a tendency to plant the, you know, whatever you end up for screening in a zigzag pattern as opposed to in a straight line. Zigzag patterns just allow more of the needles on the juniper, if you do end up doing junipers, to have sunlight. So they're not going to have a tendency to get, you know, to be bare as time goes on. If they're running a straight line and they're too close together, you're basically losing, let's say, half of the size of each plant because of the you know them being in close proximity, because they do need sunlight to keep, you know, well, let's say, needled or leaved out or whatever it happens to be. So thanks, Mike, and now let's go to Jennings back. Whoa, twice in one day already. Suzanne, how are you?
5: I'm good. How are you, Mike? Very good. Um, I, I have a question. Your books didn't cover this. I have a lot of plant um, boxes around my yard, and um, what I'd like to do is just pull everything except for my four o'clocks because I have a lot of morning glories. Um, And it's time for the annual pulling down the morning glory fence. So what I have in my front is it's about 40 feet long. uh, Along the fence I have morning glories, and then in the afternoon I have my four o'clocks and other Mm plants. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's a marathon. And uh, anyway, I do follow your books, but what I'd like to do is pull everything up and spray it down with weed killer because the weeds are just awful, awful this year. Um, Can I do that now and then still plant fresh and new in the spring?
2: Oh, sure. The herbicide won't have any impact. But I will tell you, the way the weather is and everything else, the herbicide may not have the impact of what you want. Oh, okay. So regardless of what type of herbicide you end up using, whether you're using Roundup, whether you're using a broadleaf weed killer, whether you're using a grass killer, this is, I mean, their effectiveness is really shrinking as each day goes by. Okay. okay. So just understand that.
5: Okay. Would that include? Um, I have a patch. I'm going to use it. I have a patch of poison ivy. My Yikes. neighbors have it. Yeah, my neighbors have it. And I'm thinking about just going over there because no one's living there now um because they rent the house anyway they have poison ivy over there and if i spray over there and then spray the patches over in my yard do you think that would uh maybe cut down on my poison ivy
2: uh it's hard to say again the effectiveness yeah. is going to be somewhat limited but uh, make sure that you get you know more or less i always say roundup and it will say woody plant killer so in other words, that will say it kills poison ivy, kills other things. You can't use, let's say, a normal broadleaf weed killer on poison ivy. It's just not strong enough, not effective enough. And then you add the aspect of what the weather is, you're yeah. really, I mean, the effectiveness is going to be really, really limited.
5: Okay. Well, then I guess it's just the usual annual pull everything <laughs> up and uh, turn the dirt. We turn right. the dirt and we have a couple inches of mulch and then I put fresh mulch down and what have you? So, well, thank you. I'm going to let you get on to your next caller. Thank you so much. Yeah,
2: one thing I will tell you though, if you can next spring, watch and as soon as you start to see the poison ivy leafing out, if you yeah. can go out there and just stomp on it, or you'll know, mow it, you know, and then put the you know the roundup for killing woody plants or anything. There are several other types of herbicides that can kill poison ivy, but uh, that's when I would do it in the early spring. But wait until the new growth begins. Okay. All right. Well,
5: thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Sounds
2: good. Yeah, I have a. I I just took down a bunch of uh, my let's say vines too. This year, what I did in combination with uh, I did hyacinth bean vines and with uh, moonflowers. So the hyacinth bean vines are actually from seed that uh, Tracy and I got when we were in a winery up near Clarksville. So we brought the seeds back, and I had you know. These things just go nuts. I mean, I have a billion seeds every year, and most of them just end up going into the uh, yard waste dumpsters, and then the moonflowers, you know, come out at night. So, I mean, that's what I did. And somebody, I think, called last week and said what he did from an annual vine standpoint. He did morning glories so you can get the morning flowers from the morning glories and then the moonflowers so he can get the night flowers. So uh, the, are the moonflowers blooming at night? So there's some really neat combinations you can do with... All your uh, annual vines. So thanks a lot. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know if you have a violet problem in your yard, but basically with the violets, they have two different kinds of seeding systems where the flower is, that will produce seeds, but they also – somebody actually sent me through the email and asked me, you know, what was going on here with this violet. It kind of looks like a, an upside-down J, and that's an actually second seed pod that the individual violet plants puts out, So, and it's doing it this time of year. So post-emergent control, that's the best thing you can do with the violets. There's not a, even a pre-emergent emergence they consider those things annuals, but I don't understand why they're, you know technically an annual – but so the best time to control them is in summer or early fall. But anything that you're you know, that's herbaceous like that, always before you put the herbicide down, uh, step on it. Open some wounds on the foliage. That way there's areas that it's going to absorb it in quicker because the plant's going to try to heal itself, whether it's just leaves or anything else, and then it absorbs into the, uh, let's say, broadleaf weed killer at that point. So Marge lives in North County. Marge, how are you today?
10: Uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, I have uh, a Stelladora lily that my husband and I planted uh, maybe 15 or so years ago. Wow. And, yeah, and we never did anything with it except let it grow and bloom. Now it looks like a wreath about 15 inches around. And is there any way I can break that apart and replant the little pieces? I did a few of them in spring, and the the Pieces like, look like a lead pencil. That's as thin as they are. Can I tra- pull that apart now, or should I wait till spring, or is, should I just dig it up and throw it away?
2: <laughs> well, you don't have to do that, but you can dig it up, yeah. And, and you, As long as you get it done fairly quickly, as long as the ground is still warm, and that has nothing, I mean, it has something to do with air temperatures, obviously, but the ground's still pretty darn warm. So if you get them, you know, do it before, you know, in the next week or so, you should be, you know, fine with that.
11: Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it.
2: Yep, and again, just make sure the area where you're going to transplant them to is prepared. So Stella D'Auro daily is, I mean, that's, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about, the one that's a continuous bloomer with yellowish flowers?
10: I still had a couple of flowers on it this year. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So it just kind of got exhausted. And sometimes that's going you know, to happen. I mean, you see plants in certain you know, neighborhoods that have been there forever and ever and ever. But some of the newer hybrids, uh, they have somewhat of a limited life. So good luck, Marge. And now let's go from North County to South St. Louis into John's Yard. Hi, John.
4: Hi, Mike. Uh, I really enjoy your show. I have a question. Is this area of the country a good area to grow a dogwood tree? And if so, what is a good time to plant? Uh, Where can I purchase one? And how long does it take to bloom?
2: (laughs) Well, you can buy them with flower buds already on them. So you can do that. The dogwood is a state tree of Missouri. So, yes, they grow here. You're better off to buy a hybrid as opposed to just the native wild dogwood tree you know, like the conservation department might give away or, I mean, they could be sold at nurseries. Nurseries, availability of dogwoods this late in the season – It might be somewhat limited. That's not to say some places may not have any, but uh, just go to a year-round garden center. Definitely don't go to one of the big box type things because if they still have some woody plant material, which most of them don't have anymore, they probably have not been taking good care of them as far as watering and everything else. But a year-round nursery, they should be fine if they have the dogwoods. And personally, I would choose... You know, I mean, there's, you could get, if let's say you want a traditional dogwood flower look like uh, Cornus Florida, that's a botanical name, Cloud Nine, that's a very good variety. And then if you want something, my personal favorite is Cornus Cusa, which is a, uh, an oriental type dogwood, which the only difference is it blooms about two weeks later than our native dogwoods or our hybrid of the natives. And also the flowers, uh, the petals are pointed rather than rounded off. So that's I would choose Cornus Cusa myself, but uh, Cornus Florida Cloud Nine is a very good variety.
12: Okay. I saw them
4: uh, grow uh, predominantly in uh, Kentucky, so I didn't know if this area of the country was amenable for them. And also, can you recommend a nursery?
2: Um, what, let's say you live in. Well, you could try it. I mean, you live close to Bears. There's also Garden Heights, which is on right. at four or 64 and you know Big Ben. There's Rolling Ridge Nursery. There's several different nurseries, and then you could you know towards you know, head towards the south a little bit too. There's okay. a couple on Lee May Ferry, and uh, just you know, th- just make sure with the dogwood. I mean they're a little bit iffy. If you get the I'm going to go back to the native one again. If you buy just the native dogwood, which will be just strictly Cornus florida with no words after that, you could wait for 6 or 8 or 10 years before you're going to get many flowers on it. That's the advantage of buying the hybrids. And if if you go to buy one and they do have them, just look at the tips of the branches. There should be something that looks like a little eraser on the end of the branch and that's the flower buds for next year. And make sure the area is well-drained. You know, you got to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball and plant it again so the top of the root ball is a little bit higher than the surrounding ground. And put, uh, you know, probably a couple inches of mulch over the top of it after you water it in really well.
9: And what's a good time to
4: plant it, Mike?
2: Uh, In theory, I mean, fall is, you know, you can plant them in the fall if they're available, but there's always going to be huge numbers of them in the springtime available.
7: Okay, thanks so much, Mike. Yep,
2: good luck with that. And now let's go to Barbara in Afton. Barbara, how are you today?
11: I'm just fine, Mike. My question is, if I plant the spring bulbs in outside containers under a patio roof, do I need to be watering them during the winter? Yes, because they will
2: totally dry out. So that's why you got it. Even pushing the pots underneath an eave of a building – That's a lot of times it's not going to be – they're not going to get adequate moisture, and then it's going to be really trouble because when its soil gets dry, whether it's in a pot or in the ground, then that causes problems for, you know, whatever happens to be growing there, whether it's, you know, let's say a plant or whether it's a bulb.
11: I thank you for your advice. And just simply gently water the top. That's all I have to worry about. Yeah,
2: I don't know how big – just make sure the pots, you know, when you plant them, you know, the pots should be fairly big, so consequently – and when you plant them, leave about two inches between the first circle of bulbs that you put around and the edge of the pot, and then also water them in after you finish planting, and uh, let's see, what else would I recommend? It wouldn't hurt to put a little bit of mulch over the top of them.
11: Okay. Thanks for your advice, Mike. Sure. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
2: and nice. probably one other thing is make sure when you plant the bulbs, don't let the bulbs touch each other. So usually what I do with my, you know, my bulbs is... I put the daffodils and tulips need to go the deepest. So I put those down in the very deepest part of the pot. And then I put some of the, let's say, uh, grape hyacinths, crocus, and things like that, uh, three or four inches higher because they don't need to be as deep. They only need to be about one to two inches down. And the daffodils and tulips need to be, let's say, six inches down. So, But that combination works well because the smaller bulbs usually bloom earlier, or they bloom earlier, and then consequently, just as they're finished flowering, guess what? The other ones are really starting to push up and really starting to show some flowers, so each pot can have kind of a longer blooming sequence. So thanks, Barbara, and Dorothy, I guess we're probably not going to get a chance to get her in, and I guess you talked to her, didn't you, Greg? (laughs) He's a nice guy about doing that. Many times he'll let people know, well, sorry, we're not going to be able to talk to you, uh, (sighs) and maybe it's because I'm talking too much, but... I'll tell you what, also start watching out. There's going to be a lot of foliage starting to drop off these trees. And uh, one of the sugar maples that are around our house, uh, I don't know why this one keeps, it loses its leaves first. So the slope on my front yard has a lot of leaves. So when you drive by, you say, that's Mike Miller's yard. Why is all those leaves on there? Because I haven't gotten around to doing it yet. So, But I'm going to have to do it uh, very soon. I'm going to try something this year that I haven't done before. I have a mulching mower. I'm going to bag all the leaves as I chop them up with my mower and then consequently uh, then put it, you know, put them into a plastic bag, dump the dump them out of the plastic bag into the yard waste dumpster. Dumpster. So, if you have any questions, concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, good gardening, and welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the crowd shortly, but now before Mr. Kelly slips out, you live in a rural area, right? Yes, I do. How about the trees? Are they starting to turn colors? A
3: little bit, but not much. Really? Yeah, not, not a whole lot.
2: So that's good.
3: Is it? Yeah.
2: Okay. I'll tell you why in a minute.
3: Oh, good. I want to know. Are we going to have a color when they do change, or is it going to be, like, over and out?
2: Uh, I don't think—I think we're probably going to have a pretty good one. You know, that's my guess. Okay. But the reason why I'm saying that is the Missouri Botanical Garden celebrates Tree Week. That's oh. going to be October 29th through November 4th. Now, Tree Week, again, October 29th through November 4th. And with the admission to the garden, you're going to be able to see all the trees in color— So that's going to be the great thing about Tree Week. Is uh, headed into the botanical garden then, so they're predicting the best color is going to be that week of this fall.
3: Okay, I, I was told last week that usually mid October is kind of the peak, but but the officials, you know, whoever they are, right. they were saying it's going to be a little later, especially in the parts of Missouri in particular where there was the drought,
2: right. So. And so, in essence, the botanical gardens is you know saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, if you're interested in attending to the or going to the botanical garden during Tree Week. You can go to week and find out, get your information, get your tickets and everything else. I'm not positive, but I think you might have to buy your tickets online. I shouldn't probably say that. So maybe. Let me. Can you erase that, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Hit the
3: dump button, great. Yeah, right?
2: yeah. So a tip of the trial goes out to the Botanical Garden for Tree Week, October 29th through November 4th. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to the Lafayette High School Class of 68. The Class of 68 is having their class reunion this weekend. Now, 68, I graduated in 67, but my younger sister, she graduated in 68. And I had several good friends that uh, were in that class as well, so tip of the trial goes out to Lafayette High School. I had my 50th reunion last year. They're having theirs this year. Oh, and also, I forgot to send my sister a birthday card. Her birthday was October 14th. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> and a tip of the trial goes out to Mother Nature. I do not know if you were up on Thursday morning to see the sunrise. It was spectacular. The color, that orange color in the sky to the east, was nothing but like awe-inspiring. And you have about a, only about a 10- or 15-minute window of time to see those kind of colors. The clouds were just perfect. The sun was hitting them just right. So thanks to Mother Nature, a tip of the trial to Mother Nature, tip of the trial to the Lafayette High School, Class of 68, and again, the Missouri Botanical Garden for Tree Week, which is coming up real soon. Actually, part of Halloween is going to be during Tree Week. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And let me give the tip of the trowel, and thanks for having me on your show. We can talk about annuals. A lot of the annuals are still really looking very good. Uh, Bulbs, planting your uh, spring flowering bulbs, your edibles, your ground covers, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, vines, water gardens, and everything else. I'll share my answers, comments, and opinions. But please remember, mine is not the only garden path To take It's strictly offered as an option. Greg is producing and during the week I do something I call walk and talk where I come to your home and we can talk about the aesthetics. We can talk about problem solving or anything else. So I've already given the uh, tips of the trowel and those tip of the trowels were brought to you by St. Louis Composting 636-861-3344. So let's uh, head over to Highland, Illinois and go into Dorothy's yard. Hi, Dorothy. How are you?
6: Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm calling. Uh, we're wanting to aerate and seed our lawn yet this weekend. Is it too late for that?
2: You probably, we're, we're getting near the end, but I think you should be fine.
6: Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well,
2: yeah, just ahead. just realize that, you know, after the seed goes down, it's a commitment on your part. So hopefully you haven't turned off your irrigation system or your faucets, you know, outside faucets and everything else, because you're going to have to keep the seed watered if it doesn't rain.
6: So that's a contradiction. We needed to take our hoses in tonight. Now we <laughs> have to
2: take them back out. No, off, no, no, right? no. You don't need to. You know, you you should probably be fine. They're not going to be all that much trouble. Uh, maybe just un, unscrew the hose from the faucet outside, and then you know, put it back, you know, on. But uh, yeah, you don't have to take them off. It's not going to get that cold. And uh, you know, if your pipes explode, don't call me. I'm just a <laughs> I'm a plant guy. I don't know nothing about plumbing. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah, see ya. And now let's stay in Illinois to save gas and go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary.
11: Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very, Very good. good. Um, I have a question about an annual. So I have these lantanas that I have planted sporadically around just as a fill-in. Um, I've done it several years. This year, however, they were climbing or um, they got huge. Um like five feet span, very woody, um, actually quite invasive. I was just wondering your thoughts on that. I did a little research. I couldn't find um, much about it. Are they going to come back, or should I just dig them up completely, move them?
2: Yeah, they're not hardy, so they're not gonna they're going to come back. Up. They're
11: not. Okay. Even
2: and the reason not. why they're doing so well is because of our drier weather. So Lantana does very good in, let's say, desert-type areas, southern California, where there's not a whole lot of rain. They get massive. Now, there they are perennial. They they become basically almost like small shrubs. But uh, outside here, uh, depending upon our weather, it has to stay awfully warm through the wintertime for them to be able to come back.
11: Okay. Sounds good. All right.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, Lantana are really kind of spectacular. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. The Botanical Garden, I don't know if they're still doing it, but uh, one of one of the buildings, the old historic buildings, uh, they have them always cascading over this one uh, concrete wall. And, I mean, they, just, they get massive. But uh, now let's go over to Godfrey. We're staying in Illinois, three different calls this morning, and see what's going on with Donna. Hi, Donna.
11: Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just have a question about bulbs. I got some beautiful bulbs from the Netherlands, and, but also right now I'm having something. It's a debate between squirrels and raccoons tearing up my gardens and my yard. And I, I'm so afraid to plant the bulbs, I'm sure they'll dig them up. Any suggestions?
2: Well, in reality, the squirrels, whoever, or the raccoons, they're looking for surface insects. So that's what they're doing. They're not going to go down six or eight inches. I'm assuming these are daffodils, or are they?
11: Um, tulips. I got tulips.
2: Well, they're, they're going to go down six inches, was... and these, the, those, those critters don't dig down that deep. I mean, it's very rare. But what you can do is, if you're concerned, is get them all planted and then put some chicken wire over the top of it and then put some mulch on top of the chicken wire. That way they can't dig down through the chicken wire.
11: I'll do it. And Uh, do you recommend um, um, what is it, blood meal or something with the bulb?
2: Yeah, bone meal. Ah, you know, if your soils yeah, if your soil's adequate, I don't think you really need it. If you've been able to grow stuff in that spot, that location, and everything's looked healthy, wealthy, and wise, and I, you know, I bone meal to me. Is, you know, it's high in phosphorus and potassium, and your soil may be already with an adequate amount, especially if you've been growing things for a while and you've been fertilizing things routinely, you could have already an adequate amount of that in the soil.
11: Okay. And one other quick question. Sure. Uh, leaf, leaf mold over mulch. Which do you, hardwood mulch, do you have a
2: preference? Well, the hardwood mulch lasts longer. The leaf mold you have to replenish probably twice a year. Aesthetically, I like the leaves, but uh, you know, I you know, and I end up saying that. But for the most part, I use the sh- different kinds of barks.
11: Okay, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure.
2: Now I don't know if you got your. You said your you got your bulbs from the Netherlands. But we were in the Netherlands right. a few years ago, and when we were there, we ordered the—I mean, they couldn't—they weren't harvesting them yet, but it was bulb season. And, I mean, there's mainly one or two counties that have all the bulb production. So we did order some bulbs, and they were really great, but they weren't, to be honest, all that much better than the ones that, let's say, you can get here locally from various you know locations. So, really? But, yeah.
11: Oh, shoot. Okay, because <laughs> I got about— Nine dozen.
2: Whoa! All right. Yeah. Sounds yeah. great. So, so
11: I'm, I'll experiment. I'm going to put some in pots and some in the ground, and and of course give some as gifts. Right. But, uh, but I got the real tall stemmed ones. Oh, I'm so excited.
2: Great. Sounds uh, perfect. And then in the springtime, you can call and say, "Remember me? I'm Dorothy, or I'm Donna from Godfrey, and you told me my bulbs wouldn't be better than all the rest of them. Mine are really great. So you can rub it in my my nose in it."
11: I would be happy to do that. (laughs) 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 Okay. Thanks, (laughs) Donna. Thank you so much.
2: Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, I forgot to mention that I am going to have a walk and talk after the show today. It's going to be down by Francis Park in the city. That's a cool park. We were just there a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was just a week ago. I can't remember. Art on the Park and great art show, great crafts and everything else, plus a whole bunch of old antique cars. I mean, some of those things were just like, whoa. I mean, people, the dedication they have to their cars, these old things, unbelievable. Let's go to Bob's Yard in South County now. Hi, Bob.
13: Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Got a good question for you. Actually, you came to my house with Rex Rieger many years ago uh, on a St. Pat's bed. I don't know if you recall that. I live in Columbia, Illinois, between Columbia and Waterloo. But the question I've got for you is, in all the years I've lived there, I've never experienced this before. And twice in the last three nights, my entire front yard has been torn up. It's like pieces of turf that have just been rolled back, and I suspect it's probably Coons. Exactly. And, and is there any spray or repellent that you can use to stop that?
2: Really, there's not. I mean, there's some, let's say, Bonite has several products, you know, to— let's say, repel animals and things like that. People have tried all kinds of different things. But for the raccoons, there's really not too much. And what they're trying to do is the grubs are up near the surface still, and that's what they're rutting for. And if they come across right. something else, they, you know, they'll eat it, but that's their main thing. And they do a major amount of rutting. So maybe in the future, uh, you could do some grub control, even though you're not controlling the moles because controlling grubs does not help with the moles at all because moles eat mainly earthworms. But maybe that would stop the raccoons from doing this. But yes, they definitely do some rutting. Sometimes it could be skunks, but for the most part, it's raccoons.
13: Okay, I've got a couple of Havahard traps. I think what I'll do is put those out tonight. Um, but would, is there any possibility that something like Bob-X would deter them?
2: You could try anything. With you know any of these repellents, I say give it a try, see what happens, but don't stay consistent with anything because sometimes they're going to Let's say I don't want to say get used to it, but that's basically what I'm saying. And then they're just going to blow it off and say, "Well, I know this yard has a lot of grubs, you know, or we hope it has a lot of grubs, so they're running there." So I get-
13: got you. Well, I guess that's a better choice than dynamite
2: <laughs> or staying up all night with a rifle. <laughs> Oh, I know I, I, know you can't shoot, but I actually know which house you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, it's a, you have a great backyard. I think that's where we spent most of our time was working on your backyard. So, anyway, thanks, Bob. Yes sir.
13: yes, sir. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. God bless.
2: God bless you, too. And now let's go from – let's go into Kirkwood and into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul.
12: Hi. How are you today? Very good. 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 Um, Someone planted, I believe, a tea rose in my backyard maybe six, seven years ago, and the last few years it's kind of been neglected. Um, Would it be possible for me to prune that back to the ground now and not, not have any problems in the spring?
2: Basically, it's too early. With the roses, you want to wait until there's a really hard frost. So usually it's going to be sometime after Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving, depending upon the weather. And then you're going to put, after you cut it back, you want to cut it back to about 12 or 15 inches. And then you're going to pile about six or eight inches of mulch over the top of it.
12: Uh, I was just going to ask about putting something on top of that uh, exposed surface then. Right. Now, now, like, uh, this is in, in the back part of my yard where there's not a whole lot of sun, and it, it is a little bit of a moisture problem, too, so is there something I should be concerned on that? Well,
2: both those things are not good for roses. Okay. So, roses want to be in full sun all day long, every day, and they don't like, you know, their feeder roots to be wet all the time. So this might be a—you may be—I mean, you could do it and try it and see what happens, but uh, don't expect a huge change overall in the performance.
12: Uh-huh. It, uh, now, something like six and seven years old, would that still be able to be transplanted?
2: Uh, probably could, yes. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're kind of getting late to be doing that because my concern is about transplanting certain things like—excuse me—like <coughs> roses— is if the feeder roots don't get established enough so they can't take moisture, even though there are no leaves on them or anything else, they can't uptake any moisture or nutrients, it may, you know, be a... But if the thing is kind of destined for that problem anyway due to the location where it's growing, I would say go ahead and give it a try. Make the root ball about uh, probably almost two feet across, water it the night before, and then put it in a more sunny location that's not wet.
12: I see. Okay. Well, that answers a lot of questions for me then. Okay. Well, thank you very much.
2: Well, sure. My pleasure.
12: Okay. Bye-bye.
2: And now let's go from Kirkwood to St. Louis County someplace. Hi, Tom. How are you?
4: Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you? Good. Doing well. Listen, I've got a problem here. I love my mother very much, but she's got a real jungle fetish uh, in her landscape gardening uh, idea. And uh, she's got a problem with some ivy that she put down, a very small bit that's really overtaken uh, the majority of the yard. And she's also got a red bud issue. She can't stop herself from replanting every red bud sprout. That she, uh, <laughs> she can find. Yeah, she does this uh, on a regular basis. And uh, what is the best way to get rid of that ivy?
2: Um, ivy is going to be really tough. You know, it's whether it's ivy or, let's say, winter creeper, euonymus or anything else, next year it's, it's late for most of the herbicides to be all that effective. Next year, such a more low and just mow over the top of it and as soon as you mow then come back and you know spray roundup for killing woody plants on it. And if it's in with other plant material I understand it's going to do, do some damage to the other plants. So it could be something where you have to just do you know let's say small patches at a time. But you know mowing it opens up wounds and do it in the springtime because As the season goes on, all plant material, and especially evergreens like ivies or winter creeper euonymus, the cuticle, waxy cuticle, gets really, really thick. Then that really limits the amount of, let's say, herbicide that can be absorbed or the leaf actually absorbs in. So that's where the trouble comes from.
8: Well, thank you very much. And the red bugs,
4: what's the best way to eradicate those?
2: (laughs) Go out there and step on them. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. Have a great day. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, you could pull them up if you want to. But, uh, yeah, if she's got a whole forest of red buds, I mean, that's great. But uh, a lot of them, it, they take a long time before they're going to do anything. So, yeah, if you just, you know, kind of chop them off, if they're really small, they're not going to come back. So. And now uh, let's go from St. Louis County to South County into Bob's Yard. Hi, Bob.
8: Uh, yes. In 1st of June, I had a new uh, lawn put down, new sod. And naturally, that's when the high 90s hit. Right. And um, it didn't look real good. And uh, I watered it twice a day and a lot of bare spots. Okay, first of this month, I put down seed and I put down fertilizer. Now my lawn looks fantastic because there's still some bare spots. Is it too late now to throw seed in those?
2: It's going to be a roll of the dice. If you have extra seed, yes, I go ahead. If you want to try it, yes, but make sure you rake the areas that are bare, you know, up and then put seed starter type fertilizer down yeah, with I it. So that.
8: I did that already. Okay,
2: yeah. so basically, well, what sounds like you have a cool season lawn, and unfortunately, right. putting a cool season lawn down right as we're going into summertime is not most really the ideal time to be doing that.
8: Well, I'm finding that out now, <laughs> um, and also I've, I've got a, a whole bag of monogonite that I bought last year is that still good to put down oh yeah can i put put that down on my lawn
2: uh i don't know if you already put fertilizer down i don't know if i'd want to put malorganite down or not you could just make sure you make it fairly sparse
1: oh okay all right thank you
2: yep mike miller kmox garden hotline back after these messages
1: this is the st louis composting garden hotline with your host mike miller on kmox
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I've done some pruning. In the summertime, I pruned a couple branches off my sugar maple. Summertime is a better time for birches, beeches, and maples. But you can do them in the fall. It's just their tendency is going to be to have a little bit more sap flow. And then when the weather gets a little bit cooler, I've got... uh, uh, a cedrus Libania. it's getting too big so but the problem is i don't mind it getting tall it is the fact that there's a lot of low branches and consequently i'm getting tired of pushing the branches out of the way when i cut the grass so limbing it up i'm going to be doing that a little bit later on with the evergreen ellen lives in west county ellen how are you today
11: i'm great thanks how are you very, very good, good. Great. Um, we have hydrangeas and rhododendrons and azaleas in the planting bed in our front yard, mm-hmm. and the, they're lady and red hydrangeas, and they're planted in front of the uh, rhodos and the azaleas, and they're, they're, they've are become massive, and I was wondering, how far back can we prune them? Is, is now a good time to prune? Um, and the azaleas, are we like to prune them a little bit, too, but they're they're blooming right now. They've started blooming in the fall, so <laughs> just wanted some, some advice about pruning and how far back we can prune
2: them back. Basically, I don't like to prune broadleaf evergreens going into, you know, the winter time because there could be some major damage to it and it could be really problematic from that standpoint. Also, spring flowering things, if you prune them, you're cutting off the flowers for next spring. Now, obviously, which I've seen quite a bit all over the metropolitan area, some azaleas blooming because of the weather got so goofy, it threw the azaleas off a little bit. And, I, you know, with any of them, if you cut them back, and usually with the broadleaf evergreens, a tendency, or really with any evergreen, the, the, the sort of the interior part of the shrub is always going to be naked. It's not going to have any leaves on it. So if you cut it back beyond that before there's any kind of foliage at all, it may be a really an ugly struggle before it finally gets leafed out, and it may never leaf out again.
11: Okay. So maybe hold off into the spring? Exactly. Yeah. Right, right after
2: they, they flower, flower that's, that's the best time to prune. to prune.
11: Okay. And then is there something we should do to, like, fertilize or kind of bed them down for the winter?
2: Uh, uh, so fertilizing this time, this time of year, year no. But, but next, next spring or next, next sometime, sometime after, after Valentine's, Valentine's day, day, you can get a uh, fertilizer for acid-loving plants because all those plants are evergreens and they, you know, the is not. But uh, they all like an acid-based soil, so they all prefer a fertilizer that is acid-based as well. Okay,
11: great. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, so it'll be like, I mean, Peters has acid fertilizer. Mere acid used to be Scott's. I don't think they call it mere acid anymore, but it'll say specifically for acid-loving plants.
11: Okay, that's a huge help. I appreciate it.
2: Yep, great. And now let's go to the pear and into Gus's yard. Hi, Gus.
11: Hi. I got
13: some oak trees. One of them is dying and one of them is dead. You guys said there's beetles doing it.
2: Any suggestions uh well, if one's now beetles meaning what I don't know what a beetle would be doing <clears throat> that's what he said what do you have holes in the trunks or something like from boars i you know I don't know I if beetles that can kill a, you know an oak tree were they healthy prior to let's say this beetle attack
13: well <clears throat> yeah,
2: hmm. I would best thing you can do is maybe try a different tree service. You know, I'm not saying anything wrong with this at all, but they can inject an insecticide into the trees, and it'll go up through the vascular system, and will end up going out to the leaves. But if you don't see a now, if they were ash trees, it could be emerald ash borer. But oak trees, you know, I'm just a little bit you know iffy about you know what actually is causing that because I'm not familiar with any kind of beetle that could kill a tree, you know, an oak tree. But uh, th- if this guy really is, you know, he's a professional and he says it's beetles, and it is beetles, but there is an injection system they can use to at least slow the damage down. But if one's already dead, don't try to do anything to that one at all. If one's already half, you know, let's say half dead as far as the number of branches that are leafed out and everything else, I would even be hesitant to do too much with that because the chances of recovery is going to be minimal at best.
13: Uh, I kind of let the backyard get away from me, and it's overgrown. Um, what kind of mulch should I Lay around the uh, roots of the other trees
2: uh, Basically you Don't pile it up on the trunks But it, you can choose I mean there's all kinds of different mulches if you, It's personal choice The shredded bark mulches are, are very good And uh, again Around trees or shrubs You only want about 2 to 4 inches And other things you only want 1 to 2 inches Like ground covers or perennial beds Or things along that line
13: Okay well, thank you very much.
2: Yep. Good luck, Gus. Yeah, oak, you know, beetles killing oak trees. Hmm. That's, I'll have to look that up, but I'm not familiar with that. Mike lives in Bell Fountain, Neighbors. Hi, Mike.
7: Good morning. Got a couple questions. One about a, uh, I, I'm going g I'm call it a pine tree. Uh, random branches just hanging down, looking dead. Uh, some lower branches. Uh, any quick fix, easy fix? It's about... Uh, Oh, I'm gonna call it 50, 75 feet tall.
2: (laughs) Those branches are probably just, you know, basically the branches that are higher up are shadowing it. And then consequently, the tree says, You're not helping me down here because it's the needles, you know, slash the branches that make the food for the tree. So if they're not making you know, food, then the tree just compartmentalizes them. So if you've got branches that don't have any needles on them at all or all the needles are brown, but understand with all the conifers, you know, this time of year, the interior needles, the ones that are closest in towards the trunk, even though they're not right next to the trunk, they're turning brown. But anything that doesn't have any needles on it at all, just cut them back. And if they're long branches, cut them off in sections with the final cut being about a stub of about a quarter inch or so.
7: Okay. And the next question is, and I apologize for not listening, I was coming halfway through your uh, explanation about zoysia fertilizing winter and summer and fall and all that sort of stuff. Do I put winterizer on the zoysia lawn? It's half and half zoysia and uh, other grass because of the shade from that pine tree yeah
2: basically don't put any kind of fertilizer on the zoysia because you could force it not to be able to go to sleep in the at the right amount of time then there could be some major winter kill so zoysia gets fertilized you know when the weather starts when it starts greening up in the springtime monthly you know because i can't tell you what month to do it because who knows what the weather's going to do with your final fertilizing in June.
7: june okay That sounds good. I'll hold off on the winterizer then. Yeah,
2: definitely don't do that because you could really cause some real trouble. So good luck, Mike. And uh, let's go to Alma, Illinois. And Randy, how are you today?
14: I'm fine. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, I had just a couple questions, and I'll make them uh, quick. I've got uh, first-year climbing rose bushes. And uh, actually, the better blooms have just recently come. Uh, Beautiful flowers. But anyway, uh, do I cut... When do I cut them back, and do, how far do I cut them back?
2: Climbing roses need no pruning, except next year, if you've got some of the stems that don't push, push out any foliage, cut those off as close to the ground as you possibly can. But climbing roses sh- do not need to be pruned.
14: Okay, great. And then I missed uh, just got in on the guy that was talking about reseeding. Uh, I had several bear sprouts in my front yard. And I reseeded and put the fertilizer down that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That's all done real well. And I also uh, re- reseeded into the lawn that I already had, which is done pretty good. But uh, can I still reseed again, uh, or should I wait till spring? And should I should I mow or or leave that grow? Uh, just leave that grow till spring.
2: No, don't let it grow because if it. That's a great circumstance to set up a fungus scenario because as the blades get long, they'll lay down on top of each other. They'll cre- create a real humid environment. Then you're going to have major fungus problems. Winter funguses are not deadly, but what they do is just weaken your lawn. So then that sets up a scenario for the summer funguses, which are deadly. And okay, as far as see, yeah. and as far as you can cut your you know cut your grass a little bit shorter, probably like. Th- if it's a cool season grass, some, you know, around three to three and a half inches should be adequate that you shouldn't have to cut it any lower than that. And as far as the fertilizing and seeding and everything else, it's going to be a roll of the dice whether it's going to be successful because, you know, you just, we just don't know what the weather's going to be. So yeah. you could do it. The seed's not going to germinate, you know, within the—it takes it a couple of weeks before it's going to germinate. As the temperatures get colder and colder and colder, it's going to take it longer to germinate. And then what happens is if it gets too long, then we have a major freeze. And then the, even the seeds that are just starting to germinate and they don't have the, you know, the root systems well established into the ground, then it's virtually dead.
14: Okay. I think I'll wait till spring then to reseed again. Right. Uh- uh, and then should I continue to uh, to water even in this colder weather?
2: Absolutely. You know, it's, just make sure that your landscape, your lawn or whatever gets an inch of water. Because somebody emailed me and said, the you know, they have an irrigation system and the company wanted to turn it off in mid-October. And I said, that is way too early, even on a year where we have normal rainfall and everything else. But a year like this, where we got to have the ground hydrated as we're going into wintertime, if you turned off your irrigation system, it could cause some major damage to your lawn or other plant materials as well.
14: Okay. Thank you very much, and I appreciate your call. I've been listening for a long time, and uh, uh, thank you for your information.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Tonight, the Blues get their first look at John Tavares and the Toronto Maple Leafs as they play game two of a three-game Canadian road trip. The face-off from the Air Canada Centre is at 6. Pre-game show starts at 5.30 on your home for Blues hockey,
3: KMOX.
2: Guess what, folks? St. Louis Composting, they've got this little booklet. So if you go by any of the locations, you can pick this up. It's all full of information. And one of the things it talks about is the Seal of Testing Assurance. St. Louis Composting is a member of the U.S. Composting Council's Seal of Testing Assurance, STL program. It's an ongoing quality testing and disclosure program. So compost is what you're going to add to your soil, yes, but also core aeration, putting seed down, Covering it with compost—that is ideal. They've got the premium field and turf compost. That is what needs to go on top. Not only does it help, let's say, nurture the seed as it's coming and germinating and growing, but also some of the compost falls down into the holes from the from the uh, core aeration. So that's crucially important because remember, it's healthy soil that makes healthy, better plants. So that is what we're doing. We're feeding the soil. Healthy soil. Better plant material, whether it's lawn, whether it's perennials, whether it's trees, shrubs, it doesn't matter. Because good soil is what is needed, and you're going to get good soil by adding compost from St. Louis Composting. Locations all over the place. They've got one in the city of St. Louis, one in the Pacific down off 44, Maryland Heights, (laughs) fluorescent Facility, that's on County Park Road, Belleville, Mine Hall Road. And then the headquarters is down in Valley Park, that is on Old Elam. So... um, St. Louis Composting, for all your organic needs and all information that you may need as well. So if you're unsure, just stop by and ask. St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344, www.stlcompost.com.
1: Gangnamo and Feast Magazine present Food Fight 2018, Thursday, November 8th at Major Ed on Manchester. Food Fight 2018 will feature eight local chefs competing to decide who will be crowned champion. Participants include Cinder House, Revel Kitchen, and Grace Meat Plus 3. VIP and general admission tickets on sale now and include samples from all participants. Don't miss Food Fight 2018, November 8th at the Majorette on Manchester. For more info, gangamox.com events welcome back to the st louis composting garden hotline once again here's mike miller on kmox
2: yes folks we've got about 10 minutes left and then after the garden hotline is over investing sense with andy smith and bob richards 11 o'clock the helotech foundation repair home improvement show with scott mosby 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. And then at 4 o'clock, Health Matters presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomore, And then at 5 o'clock, the KMOX Auto Show with Greg Damon. So quite the crazy, wild, interesting lineup. Back to the phones we go. Let's go to Barb's Yard, and Barb lives in St. Louis. Hi, Barb.
6: Hi, Bar- hi, hi Mike. Thank <laughs> you for taking my call. Sure. Um, two questions about trimming. I have some holly bushes that are about seven years of age. We've never trimmed. They're looking really leggy right now. Is it a good time to trim and how do I do it?
2: I don't like to prune going into wintertime with uh, broadleaf evergreens. That's just my own personal opinion. Many people do it. Uh, With the hollies, probably their tendency with like all the uh, broadleaf evergreens is there's just going to be leaves on X amount of inches of the end of the branch and the whole interior is going to have none. So when Correct. you do prune, should you choose to prune, don't cut it back to where there's no leaves left. Because okay. leaves are essential, even in the wintertime, to produce food. So it's okay. not going to be major food production in the wintertime, but nutrients and moisture come up from the root system. It goes up out to the leaf, and then the leaf uses sunlight to make chlorophyll, which is plant food, and then it shares it with the root system, stems, and other leaves. So... That's what you got to watch out for.
4: So
6: when do I trim?
2: Uh, I like you know coming out of winter time, sometime between okay. let's say Valentine's Day and the Ides of March. That's the ideal time, from my perspective.
6: Okay, and then the other one is I have a little lime that's not really little anymore. It's you know it's grown quite a bit. Can I? have always been hesitant about trimming hydrangeas for fear that I'm tr- you know trimming off the blooms <laughs> right. for the next year. So what do I do with that?
2: It's a summer bloomer, correct?
6: Correct. Although it looks really good now, too.
2: Right. So basically anything that blooms in the summertime, prune it in like the same time I was talking about earlier, sometime in the early spring, late winter, before new growth, new leaves start coming out. So you got all the way up to that, you know, you've got probably four or six weeks to prune it because it's going to bloom or it's going to set the flower buds on the new wood, new growth of next year as opposed to things that bloom in the springtime, they're going to bloom on wood that's there this year.
6: Okay. And trim it back like a third, do you think, per...
2: Uh third might yeah, be a little bit her. much, but uh, you could try that. A third would be the maximum amount I would do. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to CreveCore. Norman, how are you?
15: Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, enjoy your program. Um... Question, we've had some soil erosion in our backyard, and uh, back in August, we contracted with a landscape company to put down sod. They're going to be putting it down end of this month, first week of November. Is that too late for sod? Ooh, it's
2: getting kind of late. Um, <clears throat> you know, I would if they're going to guarantee it, I'd say let them go ahead and do it, because. Basically, if you've got an erosion problem, hopefully they're going to work up the soil and everything else and get rid of any kind of, let's say, ruts or anything before they lay, they lay the sod down.
15: They said they were going to uh, put down like an inch or two of topsoil and kind of smooth it out a little bit before putting the sod down. They should
2: mix it in with the existing soil. Just to lay it on top is not going to really help because the water can you know, run underneath the sod and erode this stuff that, that is not in a cohesive, let's say, uh, circumstance with the existing soil.
15: It's a professional landscaping company, and like I said, that it, uh, it wasn't just to lay down the sod. They said they were going to, you know, whatever, uh, rough it up and then put down. That's uh, perfect. Topsoil. So, so, but it, 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 any special uh, thing we need to do other than keeping it watered? I mean, we're getting. Late into the year,
2: yeah. That's you know that would be the only thing I'd be concerned with. But if the sod is still going to be available, being sold at the garden centers, and they have access to it, and again they're going to guarantee it, then I would say go ahead and do it because it's going to help. Let's say minimize any kind of erosion that may happen during the winter time.
15: Okay, so you're thinking let's go ahead and do it. Hopefully within the next week or so.
2: Yeah, exactly. Sooner the better, for sure.
15: Okay. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate your program.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate you being there. Yeah, it's, I mean, the professional companies and everything else, it's just, you know, as long as they're roughing the soil up and they're mixing it, making sure that anything they're going to do as a top dressing before they lay the sod down is blended in one way or another with the existing soil, because if it's not, it's just going to, you know, be gone. But anyway, thanks, Norman. And now let's go to Liz in South City. Hi, Liz
10: hi mike thanks a lot for taking my call sure um i have a question i uh have uh three small hostas that i have failed to plant into the ground at this point they're still in the small little plastic pots um should i bring them in for the winter or can i still plant them
2: i would not bring them in they'll freak out no you can't bring them in because I, i mean but basically i'd just go ahead and plant them okay And just, I mean, work up the soil, make sure that wherever, you know, they're shade tolerant. You want them underneath shade. But wherever you put them, make sure there's not a whole lot of, you know, whatever's creating the shade, roots. Because the tree roots, the shrub roots or anything else, they're going to be very aggressive this time of year, uh, taking lots of nutrients and lots of moisture. So anything that's new that's put in could, you know, really get, I don't want to say beat up, but beat up underneath the ground.
10: Okay, Great, and then I'll uh, I'm going to put them in a place not close to any of that type of thing. Um, but I do I'm still watering fairly regularly. Is that okay to do, or should I back off on
2: that? No, no, it's fine to do. As long as you're you know, as long as you're not drowning anything, you're fine. You're I mean, that's the best thing to be doing because the plant material has been used to being watered. The soil has been used because remember, your soil is alive. So, the, so you know, the living qualities of your soil is used to that moisture level as well. Everything has not gone dormant yet. So, yeah, I would say go ahead and continue to water the way you have.
10: Okay, great, because my neighbors look at me like I'm kind of goofy. but <laughs> <laughs> And you look okay, back cool. at
2: them like they're kind of goofy, I hope.
10: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the call. I appreciate the show.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, thank you very much. And the final call of the day is we're going to stay in South City and go over to Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Very good.
10: Well, I'm calling about my miniature Japanese maples. I can't seem to get them to grow. First, my dog killed one, and then this other one lost all of its leaves. And then its branches got kind of, I don't know, brittle, so I took the brittle branches off and now it's got a couple that are sort of red in color and it seems to be held securely in the ground does that mean it's trying to come back or does that mean I've done it again
2: is it, are the branches coming off the trunk or are they coming up out of the ground
10: uh they're coming off the trunk
2: okay it's you know it doesn't sound like it's re- really in great shape but uh no. <laughs> it's so it, you know, anyway, they shouldn't really be losing their, brain, losing their foliage as early.
10: Okay, my next question, what other miniature little tree can I put in my garden? I, I'm not wanting one that gets real, real big. I'm not wanting a bushy one, just a small little ornamental tree that I can put in there after I dig this one out.
2: To be honest with you, there's very little. I mean, that, oh. that, they fit a really small niche in the landscape, and there's not too many other things that are going to mimic this, you know, the size and everything else. I would say just whenever it's planted again, as I've been saying several times today, three times the diameter of the root ball, but planted so the top of the crown where the roots and the trunk meet is higher than the surrounding ground. And that's the best thing you can do. And, now, and hopefully there's not any larger trees or anything that's competing with, for, with your newly installed tree.
10: No, nothing like that. Thank you, Mike. I'll call you again and let you know how the next batch is (laughs) going. You take care, Mike. Have a good one. Yeah,
2: you do the same thing. And one other option would be to leave the tree, if it's in at least a three-gallon pot, in the pot just dig a hole and stick the pot down in the hole and see if you can get this thing to get well established before you take it out of the pot and then try to plant it so thanks to everybody for calling in and uh wow we as i look out here there's a really a sick oak tree but it's looking spectacular as far as the color goes so no i'm just no i'm not kidding it's really the truth But uh, happy Halloween for everybody. I know it's not quite Halloween yet, but uh, it should be fun. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next
0: week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.